really glad that you're here this morning, and I just want you to know that I mean that. I don't just say that as a simple greeting. I genuinely am so glad that you're here this morning. I really like being your pastor, and I love having you in the room. I remember hearing that statement uh, said to me years ago, and I've tried to be very intentional about using that simple statement, not just as a casual greeting, but really to let people know that I appreciate their presence. Years ago, I was in Ohio visiting a friend of mine. His name's Dan. He's got a large church in Ohio, and I just spent about three, four days with him, kind of shadowing him around, trying to understand and learn how to do ministry on a larger scale. And I really appreciated that time with him, but I I remember kind of feeling, especially at the beginning, I felt like, you know, what am I doing here? I'm just taking from this, from this friend of mine. I have really nothing to offer. I'm kind of in his way. And it wasn't because he made me feel that way. He didn't. That was just kind of how I perceived my own presence uh, during all this busyness that he was involved in. And I can remember uh, about halfway through that, it's at one point in the evening, he just paused from whatever he was doing, and he looked at me, and he just said, Mark, I just want you to know I'm glad that you're here. And when he said that, it meant more to me, or at least as much to me, as all of the wisdom and knowledge that I felt like I was receiving from being in his presence. I just felt like uh, he he was authentic about it, and I felt uh, like he genuinely wanted me to be in his presence, and he was glad that I was with him. So when I say to you, I'm glad that you're here, that's how I intentionally mean it. Maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe something that someone has said, something that someone has done, to them it wasn't a big deal. To them it was something small. To them it might have even felt insignificant, but to you it was a big deal. To you it made a big deal in your day. To you it maybe made a significant impact in your life. I've experienced that not just with my friend Dan. I've experienced that different times in my life as well from other people, and it's it's special. It's meaningful. We've been leaning in and listening carefully to the last words of Jesus as he was dying on the cross. We've been at it for about a month now. And every week we're hearing Jesus say something that is significant, something that has weight to it. And today we're going to hear Jesus say just two simple words. And when you hear the two words, it's going to maybe sound like something small. It's going to sound like it is insignificant, like something that we would just gloss over, especially in light of what's coming next. What I'm hoping by the end of today's time together is that you're going to see just how significant these two small words, these two words that are easy to look over, how how powerful they really are, and what, what a big impact they can make in our everyday lives. We're going to start with a monologue, another one of these monologues. This one represents Matthew. Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus, who was originally a tax collector. In the first century, everybody hated the tax collectors, even more than people don't really care for the IRS today. Uh, Back then, it was even worse, if you can imagine. And Jesus uh, brought this guy in. His life was transformed. He did some significant things for the sake of the gospel. And so this monologue you're going to listen to, and he's going to describe uh, the day that he heard these two simple words. So take a listen to this.
a cup of water. Wouldn't have thought twice about it if it wasn't for that day that Jesus sat the 12 of us down. It was a busy morning. We were all doing the business of his ministry. We were running errands, talking to the townspeople. And then he, um, he pulled us aside that afternoon in a quiet place. He spoke for a long time. There were no stories, there were no parables. He just spoke plain, painstakingly plain. The bottom line was this. He told us if we were to continue following him, things were gonna get dicey for us. That there could even be physical harm when we mentioned his name. He was not painting a pretty picture. But we all knew that uh, this is going to be the price for carrying out his message. I put on my bold, bold, brave face and I nodded in agreement. But inside, I mean, I'm a tax collector, not a soldier. I, I don't know anything about courage or bravery. I couldn't be more ordinary. And I remember thinking, I wonder if Jesus knows how scared I am right now. Not a sparrow falls, he said, that is not in the Father's care. And how much more are we worth? But it's this, it's this that got me. He said to us, if anyone does some simple act of kindness to us, his followers, even like a, giving us a, a cup of cold water, they will not lose the reward. That's how much he cared for us. If someone shows a simple act of kindness, even in the worst scenario, it meant something in heaven. Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. And that same cup of water he mentioned, we couldn't even give it to him. He was willing to die painfully, thirsty even, for our sake. And because of that, my courage grew. Not out of bravery, but from love. step into that moment together, would you join me at the cross in John chapter 19? Would you open your Bibles and join me in John chapter 19, verse 28? Today is your first Sunday with us. We've been 
going back to the cross every week, and we, we started with the first thing that Jesus said from the cross about forgiveness, and, and we listened to Jesus say to John, I want you to take care of my mom, and he said to the thief on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise because of your simple faith. And we jump back into this scene in John chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture. Now I'm going to pause and ask you just to mentally underline that short phrase that says to fulfill scripture. Keep it in mind. We're going to come back to it later. And this is what he said. I thirst. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they, they meaning the soldiers, they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. And we're going to pause there. Most of our attention at Easter time is focused on verse 30, especially when we get closer to Good Friday, and we're going to get to it. Most of the weight that we think of with the crucifixion is focused on verse 30 with those three simple words. But we need to pause here. Because these two simple words, I thirst, I believe are very significant. They are powerful words. Actually, in the Greek, it's just one word. When they translate it from Greek to English, it's just, it's just one word. And I know it doesn't sound like a lot. I know it's something that's easy to overlook because we want so badly to jump into that next sentence and talk about the power of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But what we're reading here is, is significant. Now, maybe not as significant as the slap heard around the world this week, right? I mean, there's, there must be huge significance to uh, someone who, who went up on stage and, and slapped someone and, and swore at them in front of millions of people. I mean, it must be significant because, you know, there's, there's a, a war happening and people are, are being murdered and people are being displaced from their homes. World War III is like looming in the distance and yet everywhere I went this week, people were talking about one actor slapping another actor and swearing at him. It must be significant, right? He said with great sarcasm. Listen, what, what we're reading, I understand, probably isn't going to get as much attention as some of the things that get attention in our world. But I'm telling you, what we're reading, what we're hearing matters. What Jesus said from the cross that day is a big deal. Two simple words, I believe, have the power to impact our everyday lives. And I want to give you three reasons why. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, you can write these down on your notes page. You can follow along on our digital notes on our website inside the digital bulletin. There's a big green button there that says notes, and you'll be able to follow along there. Three reasons why I believe these two simple words, I thirst, have significant impact in our everyday lives. The first one is when Jesus said, I thirst, he was declaring his humanity. He was declaring his humanity. You know, the, the miracle of the virgin birth, which we celebrate at Christmas time, is an incredible miracle because uh, Jesus was conceived inside the body of a, a virgin by the power, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, which is an incredible miracle. But there's something else that also happened in that same moment. The, 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 the divinity of Jesus 
was added to, or added to it, was this humanity. And they were morphed together forever, 100% divine, 100% human at the same time. An incredible miracle. You know, the next time, this is just kind of a personal thing, I know. I'm probably not going to get a lot of supporters. We're probably not going to have a big rally over this. But the next time uh, we sing Away in a Manger at Christmas, uh, I just kind of want to reject that whole line in that song that says, uh, no crying he makes. It's a lie. Anyone with me? We're going to, no, okay, it's just me. Storm the Capitol over it. Yeah, right? Of course baby Jesus cried and did everything else that babies do. 100% divine, yes, but 100% human at the same time. When Jesus fell down as a child and scraped his knee, he bled. And I know we get focused on uh, Jesus walking on water, which is an incredible miracle. It's, it's evidence of his divinity. But in his humanity, as a child, he would have at some point had to learn how to swim. When Jesus made a cabinet, he didn't just say, let there be a cabinet. Pff, a cabinet appeared. Now, he could have in his divinity done a miracle like that if he chose, but he didn't do it that way. He experienced humanity in its fullness. Now, why would that matter? Here's why it matters. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Here's why I believe this matters to your life and to my life. Hebrews chapter 4, actually verse 14, starts by describing who we're talking about. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, who are we talking about? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe about Jesus. What do we believe? Verse 15, this high priest of ours understands our weakness. For he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Well, okay, that's amazing, but what does that have to do with my life and your life every day? Verse 16, so we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and, and find grace to help us when we need it the most. Jesus experienced Real pain. He, he didn't switch off of human mode and go back to God mode when he went to the cross. He felt the full measure of that pain. In fact, in Mark chapter 15, it tells us that before Jesus was nailed to the cross, the soldiers that were doing that, they offered him a mixture of wine and myrrh, which is a painkiller. They offered him a painkiller, and he refused it. Why would he do that? He, he chose to feel the full measure of pain physically, emotionally, spiritually. And that means for us that whatever pain that we are experiencing, either in this moment or in the future or connected to our past, Jesus can relate. He understands. He can sympathize, not in a theoretical way, but in a genuine way. It's like parents who have lost a child. The only other people on the planet who could possibly truly understand the depth of that pain are other parents who have lost a child. And it's not that others can't empathize, 
but we can't truly sympathize. We can't truly step into what that pain really feels like unless we've experienced it. By the way, God the Father knows exactly what it feels like to watch His Son suffer and die. The words, I thirst, they might not sound like much, but they are this huge reminder to us that Jesus understands our painful life experiences, and He cares. It's not just that He gets it. He cares. He loves us so much that He was willing to experience the full measure of pain from the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of sin, so that you and I could be made right with God and have our lives transformed. The first thing that we learn from this short phrase, I thirst, is that Jesus was declaring His humanity. Here's the second one. Jesus was also affirming His divinity. You go back to what was recorded here by John. It says, remember that phrase I told you, underline in your mind, to fulfill Scripture, to fulfill prophecy, Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus, in this moment, was fulfilling Scripture, fulfilling prophecy. You know that psalm that we looked at last week together, Psalm 22? It's not just a song of lament. It's also prophecy. If you go there and look at that again with me in Psalm 22, I'll start in verse 15. See if this sounds familiar from what we just read. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You've laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Does that sound like someone who's thirsty? It gets more specific. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. Listen to this. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Well, that sounds very specific, doesn't it? I can count on my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. How is it possible that David, a thousand years before this moment at the cross, knew that that was going to happen, except that God revealed that to him? It's a pretty good guess otherwise. There's another great example. The Bible is full of these. I'm just going to give you two. If you go to Psalm 69 with me, Psalm 69, verse 21, listen to this one. I think we just read this, Psalm 69, 21, but instead they gave me poison for food. They offered me sour wine for my thirst. So these prophecies of, uh, from David, written a thousand years in advance, you think about the likelihood that he would have gotten these details right. I mean, just imagine, Jesus has no control over what those soldiers were doing with his clothes. Jesus has no control from the cross of what these soldiers are going to offer him when he says, I'm thirst. So how is it then that David and all these uh, a millennial, uh, millennium in advance well, uh, there's going to be a Messiah, and uh, the Messiah is going to be executed. How will he be executed? Uh, piercing his hands and feet. Crucifixion. Hasn't been invented yet, but uh, this crucifixion, and he's going to be thirsty, and what will they give him to drink? Hmm, what will it be? Vinegar. I mean, if you were going to guess something, would you guess vinegar, sour wine? This idea of prophecy, this, 
this concept of prophecy is it's not just so that we can uh, sit around with the magic eight ball. What's going to happen next? No, it's to give us confidence in the gospel. It's to give us confidence in the power of God's word and the truth of God's word. It's not the only example. I love the example of, of the hyssop branch that they used to give him the vinegar, to give him the sour wine. Because that goes even farther back than David. That goes back to the time of Moses. In Exodus chapter 12, when God was bringing the plagues on the Egyptians, motivating them to let the Hebrew slave force free, the very last plague, the very last one, the, the, the most traumatic one, was the death of the oldest son in every family. The angel of death came upon every family, and the oldest son would die. And the only way to avoid the angel of death would be to sacrifice a perfect lamb and to put the blood of that lamb around the doorposts of your home with a hyssop branch. The Hebrew people were left free, and uh, God told them that they needed to celebrate the Passover, and, and Jewish people who are Orthodox Jews today continue to celebrate the Passover today. And if you ever read about it or uh, participated in something like a Jewish Seder, if you've ever done anything like that, it's like, it's like a painting, a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. And these pictures go all the way back to the time of Egypt. This picture of, uh, of, of the blood uh, saving, saving them from death. This, this picture of the hyssop branch. All of these things go back into prophecy. See, the cross is the central focus of the entire Bible. When, when Jesus was walking after his resurrection, when Jesus was walking with these two guys, they were on their way to this town called Emmaus, and as he was walking with them, he explained to them how the Old Testament was all about him. In, in Corinthians, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he described, he went back into the Old Testament history to this moment when water comes out of a rock. Maybe you remember this story from the Old Testament. And Paul describes that as a picture of Jesus. There's a Grace Kids teacher uh, that asked her class this question. What, what has a bushy tail, four legs, and hops from branch to branch? One of the first graders spoke up and said, hmm, sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I think the answer is probably Jesus because every answer to every question here at church is Jesus. <laughs> I suppose there's some truth in that. Everything at church that we're doing, it, it truly is about Jesus Christ. And everything about Jesus Christ comes back to the cross. And that brings us to this important question. Why does it matter that Jesus is fully divine? I think the answer to that question is in Philippians chapter 2. Would you look at that with me? Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 5. Philippians 2, 5 challenges us to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Now, the attitude here, which we'll get to in our next point, is that of humility. But listen to these verses describing Jesus. Verse 6, though he was God, right, 
affirming his divinity. He did not think of equality with God as something to grasp or something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Jesus did not give up his divinity at any time, but he laid aside the privileges of, the, uh, of his divinity, the privileges of being God and the throne room of heaven. He laid it aside and lived in, in the fullness of the human experience. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on a cross. Here's why that matters. Look at verse 9. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The divine nature of Jesus, His sinless, perfect life, is what makes Jesus uniquely qualified to be that perfect lamb sacrifice that saves us from spiritual death. Our hope of eternal life depends on the divinity of Jesus Christ. So yes, I thirst may sound like a simple, easy-to-overlook statement, but when you realize that it is connected to prophecy, that it is connected to affirming His divinity, these two words take on a lot of weight because they are the fulfillment of God's redemptive story through the promised Messiah, which gives them enormous weight, gives us uh, incredible confidence that what we're reading about Jesus is true. Here's the third thing. Not only... Does this declare, these two words declare His humanity and affirm His divinity, but they also set up this example for us in humility. In humility. I want you to think about the timing of what Jesus said and when He said it. Jesus had been hanging on the cross since 9 a.m. And what we're reading takes place around 3 p.m. So for six hours, Jesus was, was hanging on the cross, fighting for every breath. And the things that he said during that six hours were all focused on other people, not himself. I mean, if ever there would be a time that you could justify thinking only of yourself, this would probably be it. Jesus was experiencing the most excruciating pain that we could possibly imagine, and yet Jesus was thinking about and putting others first. Think about some of the things that he said. He's, he's asking the Father to have mercy on the people that were crucifying him, mocking him, uh, gambling for his clothes. He's asking John to take care of his mom. He, he's, he's affirming uh, to this thief on the cross who just has this simple faith in Jesus as the King of Heaven. He's telling him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Everything that he said on the cross to this point was about other people. And finally, finally he expresses something about his own pain, like right before he dies. I wonder how that level of humility might impact our relationships. I want you to imagine what our marriages would look like 
if we were relentlessly, if we just relentlessly refused to be selfish and self-centered in our marriages, how that might impact our everyday lives. If we, if we just relentlessly chose to every day put the needs of our spouse before our own. If, think about our families. How would that impact our families if we put the needs of other people in our family before our own? If we just refuse to be selfish. Whether you're talking about a relationship from a, a child to a parent, a parent back to a child where we put the other person's needs first. Think about our friendships. What would our friendships look like if we cared about the needs of others, the well-being of others, way more than we cared about our own needs being met, about how others were were somehow uh, making sure that, that we were affirmed? This is a, a Dixie cup, small, probably in the back, in the balcony. I don't even know if you can see it, right? A small Dixie cup. We're familiar with these. Just a small paper cup and some water. And so this, this to me represents the last stall tactic of children before bed. Right? You're getting children ready for bed and you know, they get their bath and you get them in their pajamas. Brush your teeth. We're going to tell you a story. Maybe you have you know, a devotional with your children. You pray with them. And you got to make sure that all the stuffed animals are just in the right spot and you tuck them in. Hugs and kisses, right? The whole thing. You've got a rhythm to this. And just before you walk out the door and you turn out the light, can I have a drink of water? How do we respond? Shut up and go to sleep. <laughs> oh, oh, you're thirsty, are you? You're thirsty. Well, I'll tell you what. How about you get up out of bed? We'll take some laps around the block. We'll see how thirsty you are then. Could I just say, if that's your parenting style, I'd like to recommend to you some parenting videos that we have available on Right Now Media. Free of charge from our website. You might want to check those out. Maybe you have a bad day. People can have a bad day. Maybe you don't respond in grace in that moment. But unless you're having a, a bad day, what do you do? Well, you, you, bring, you bring a Dixie cup of water for your child, a, a, an expression of parental kindness. It's not a lot, right? You don't want to pee in the bed. You don't want to deal with that. But, but you, bring them, you bring them a little bit of water. And I know it's small, I know it's not a lot, but to little Festus, that matters to him, right? And the same thing's true in life. It's often the small things that we do, it's often the small things that we say that make the biggest difference in, in the lives of other people, whether you make their day, you make their week, or make a bigger impact. And to you, it's not that big a deal. To you, it's just something small and insignificant. Oftentimes, we don't even see what a big deal it's making. It's like the hyssop branch. I don't know if you know what a hyssop branch is, but hyssops are like these, these woody shrubs that grow out of walls. They're not big sequoias. They're not impressive at all. And yet, a hyssop branch is what God used in His story of redemption 
He used the hyssop branch for something extremely significant in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Jesus said this, and it's full circle back to the monologue. Jesus said this in Matthew 10. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. There, there's big eternal impact that comes from some of the smallest acts of love and kindness. And I, I don't know how you see yourself. Maybe you, maybe you see yourself as someone who is small and insignificant in this big, crazy world. Maybe you wonder if you could ever make a real difference in the world. But Jesus is proof that putting others first and simple acts of love and kindness can make a huge difference in people's lives. If you just start reading through any one of the Gospels, you pick one, Matthew, Luke, John, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you pick any one of those Gospels this week and just start reading and, and observing Jesus and how he treated others, it's just full of example after example of small acts of love and kindness that, people, that Jesus does for people and makes a huge impact in their lives. And it's not just the act of kindness itself that we're after. It's not just, well, let's be a good person. That's not, that's not what this is about. This is about making Jesus famous. These small acts of love and kindness are things that we do because we're following the example of Jesus, because we're trying to shine the lights brightly on Jesus, because we want, we want to make Jesus known. So our motive, our heart attitude should be the same as Jesus when we do these things. We're, we have to have this heart attitude that says, Jesus has been so kind to me. He has shown me so much grace, and I just, I just want to be kind to you. I just want to show grace to you. A heart attitude that says, Jesus has met every need in my life. Like a, like a cup of cold water on a hot day, that's, that's how Jesus has treated me. And I just want to do this for you so that maybe... Maybe you'll be interested in Jesus refreshing your soul like he refreshes mine. I, I think sometimes we look at all of the needs around us and they just seem so big. And it, it can be overwhelming, like there's nothing I could ever do. There's nothing that I could ever say that would make a big difference. And I, I, I say this, there's nothing wrong with thinking big. There's nothing wrong with dreaming big, but I just want to challenge you in my heart. Every day, more often than not, we just need to think small. We just need to think small. Do small things every day that will make a big difference in the lives of other people around us, whether it's your marriage and your family and where you go to work or where you go to school. Think about, think about doing small things. Just think small when it comes to our marriages. How about this? Something small. Keep your vows. That's probably going to make a big impact in your marriage, something small that you can do on a daily basis. Just keep your vows. How about this one? Speak with kindness. Just relentlessly choose to speak with kindness towards your spouse. Something small, I'm telling you, is going to make a big impact in your relationship. Now, maybe this sounds extreme to some of you, but remember, remember when we were... Uh, whenever you were dating or maybe back, I don't know when you started uh, your relationship, but uh, maybe, maybe you remember the days when you have little love notes, right? You leave little notes in different places. 
and then you get married, and all those kind of things over the, over the course of time just kind of seem to evaporate. Why, why not get back into that? Why not choose uh, to just show small acts of love and kindness with a little love note or something similar to that? It would make a big difference. How about in your family? Think about the family dynamic. I don't know how the rhythm of your home works, but uh, someone's probably making beds. Someone's probably doing the dishes. Someone's probably taking care of the chores. And, and, and what would it look like if, uh, if that's something that, that we jumped in and helped each other out with uh, without having to be asked, without having to be guilted into it? What if, what if it was one of those things where, what can I do today to serve you? What small thing can I do? You don't even have to ask. I'm just going to do this small thing because I love you, and, and I just want to take something off of your schedule today. Well, that would look that would look pretty significant to someone who's just trying to get everything done. Parents, if you've got if you've got children, maybe they're teenagers, maybe maybe uh, maybe they are young adults. If you've got children that have or are drifting far from God, could I just encourage you? Please don't stop praying for them. I know some days it's going to feel like it's small. I know some days those prayers are going to feel like they are insignificant and they're not making a difference. And I'm saying to you, based on what I believe about God, that they matter. Those prayers matter. Please don't give up. Keep praying for your kids. Think about our communities Think about some of the small things that we can do in our communities. Here's one. How about when you're in traffic, don't flip people off and swear at them out the window. How about, how about we be kind in traffic? How about when we're at the store and, and, and Betty Spaghetti is paying her $80 check with nickels that we're kind and patient in that moment? Something small that can make a big difference in the lives of other people. Writing thank you cards, writing encouragement cards. It's somewhat of a lost art, but it matters. I got, and it's not the only form of encouragement. Uh, sometimes a, a, a text message or a message can, can make a big difference. I got, last week, I told you about a song that matters to my heart. It is well with my soul. I shared that with you. And then during the week, I got, just from two friends, I got a message, and it had uh, a link to two different versions of it is well with my soul and you know it just it, it made me it, it was good it was filling in my heart to know that uh, someone took just a minute uh, to think of me and, and to share something that they thought would bless my heart and it did it doesn't have to be anything huge but it can make a person's day better and we do it because we love them and because because we want them to feel the love of Jesus Think about your relationship with God. What are the small things that you can do in your relationship with God? Just How about just stand for the truth? And when I say stand for the truth, I, I don't even mean that we have to, you know, let's all gather in the parking lot with some picket signs and go find something to yell about. I, I don't even mean that. I just mean standing for the truth is just in your everyday personal life. Just live truth. Don't get sucked into the lies of, of our culture. Just don't participate in it. Because it's tempting, I understand it's tempting, but just say, you know what, uh, I understand a, a dark world that doesn't believe in God or isn't interested in God's standards, I get why they're, 
why they're moving in that direction. I'm just not going to be part of it. I'm just not going to participate in that. I love them. I hope they get to, uh, get to meet Jesus and their lives get transformed. And if I can be a part of that, awesome. But I'm just not going to be part of that. It's something small to, to stay pure in, in our lives, to, to do the right thing when it's the hard thing. We can do that. We can be a living testimony of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't have to look like the culture that we live in. Small things can make a big impact when God's hand is on it. I'm really glad that you're here this morning because I desperately wanted you to hear Jesus say this in John chapter 7. I'm going to finish with this. We're almost done. John chapter 7. Verses 37 and 38. The end of this festival. There's a crowd gathered. And Jesus says this loudly to the crowds. Verse 37, about halfway through, he says, Anyone who is, who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And that scripture is about Jesus. That's what he's offering. That's what he's promising. And I don't, I don't know what your, what your thirst is today. I don't know if you're sitting here and you're thirsty for love or maybe you're thirsty for acceptance. Maybe you are thirsty for strength and endurance. Maybe you're thirsty for uh, just this assurance of of what's on the other side of this life, or a little more confidence that you can walk through the experience that's in front of you. I don't know what you're thirsty for this morning, but Jesus just promised that he can quench the thirst, whether it's physical, uh, emotional, spiritual, intellectual. The answer to every question really is Jesus. He's just asking us to trust him. Why could we trust him? Why should we trust him? Because Jesus went to the cross to be the only sacrifice to pay our sin debt in full with the full measure of God's wrath, the full measure of God's judgment upon him in our place. And when we believe that, when we, when we choose to rest in what Jesus has done for us that we cannot do for ourselves, here's what happens. His righteousness covers us just like the blood over the doorposts in Egypt, and it saves us. He saves us from spiritual death. Now, that's the gospel message, but it's not just for our salvation. It's for days when we feel small. It's for days when we feel inadequate, like I could never make a, a difference in this world. Well, just like we rest in Jesus for our salvation and have confidence in eternal life that he provides? We can rest in Jesus and have confidence that, that Jesus has the power. I don't. I recognize that. And probably you don't either. But Jesus has the power to use the small things that we do, the small things that we say. When his hand is on it, God is able to have huge impact in the lives of other people through just the simple things that you and I do on a daily day basis. So my challenge is, this week, think small. Do the small things and just trust God to do the big things 
that impact people's lives. You do the small things. You say the small things. And we'll let all the big stuff, we'll let that all up to our big, powerful God. Amen?